0: Our annual NBA opening night doubleheader is Wednesday, October 20th. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and the Celtics are at Madison Square Garden to take on Julius Randle, former Celtic Kemba Walker. A little spice there and the Knicks. It's 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific. Then it's our prime time West Coast game with a reigning MVP, Nikola Jokic in the Nuggets in Phoenix, squaring off against Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and the Suns last season's Western Conference champs. Unless you forget, two great matchups to tip off the NBA season on ESPN and the ESPN app. One app, one tap. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast live from Los Angeles, California, recording at 326.00. Local time, which means 26 minutes ago, the deadline passed. For most players in the NBA who are extension eligible, including and especially the 2018 first-round picks to sign extensions, that deadline has passed. There could be some veteran extensions coming up. Some deals got done. Lots of deals didn't get done. Oh, by the way, the NBA season starts tomorrow. That's when basketball is played, and that some of these players who signed extensions try to put an orange ball into a round hoop, and some of the other players try to stop them from putting the orange ball in the round hoop to help us break down all of it The one and only Kevin Pelton, who's been a writing machine today. Mr. Pelton, how are you?
1: I'm doing well. Yeah, I'm told that's why we care so much about these transactions, is that these guys then will play basketball. It's not for the transactions themselves.
0: No, there's going to be games tomorrow. There are two NBA games. The Brooklyn Nets, with all but one of their players, who I don't want to talk about anymore, will face the Milwaukee Bucks, who I believe have all their players, including the freshly extended Grayson Allen. We're not starting this podcast with (laughs) Ted Cruz looking like And trip artist, Grayson Allen. We're not doing it, Kevin Pelton. We're not. In fact, I'm banning Grayson Allen talk from the podcast just like that. Uh, And then, of course, the Lakers play the Warriors. LeBron and Steph, I'll be at that game. I can't wait. Let's start with the deal that did not get done because that's the headliner of the day. Phoenix did not come into an agreement with DeAndre Ayton, the number one pick in the 2018 draft. A guy who was a massive part of the Suns' run to the finals last year credit to bill duffy and deandre ayton they stuck with a max or nothing stance they didn't cave they didn't budge they said you're giving us the max or you're giving us nothing and so today deandre ayton watched the Suns pay mikhail bridges four years 90 million talk about that deal later landry shamit four years 43 million we'll talk about that deal later deandre ayton zero years zero million um mr pelton i'm not even going to ask you a leading question are you surprised what's your take
1: I'm a little surprised. I don't, my take is, I don't think this is as unreasonable as the rest of the NBA media world seems to think. That, you know, to some extent, when you sign a player to an extension like this a year ahead of time, the team is taking on a, a preponderance of the risk if it's a max deal. If it's not a max deal, obviously there's scenarios where the player's value could go up, could go down. Both sides are taking risks. When it's a max deal, only the team is taking a risk because DeAndre Ayton can't make more money next year. Now, there are reasons you do that. Number one, to preserve the relationship with the player. And number two, because of the fact that there are things that can happen in restricted free agency that are a lot less fun for you than paying this guy the max for the next five years in terms of a shorter offer sheet or in terms of uh, you know him taking the qualifying offer. But I think the question should be phrased is, is that a greater risk for the Suns than of DeAndre Ayton's value going down when we're not so uh, closely removed from the peak of his value with that playoff run
0: yeah at the risk of being unpopular on nba twitter and boy look it's very fun to pile on robert sarver i'm here for all the robert sarver jokes i'm here for when deandre in does the shack thing at where he just runs up and down the court saying pay me pay me my money to robert sarver during a game i'm here for all of it I just can't get outraged about this. Like, I'm I'm not 100% convinced that DeAndre Ayton is a max player, even if it's, as Brian Windhorst says, the fun max or something above the fun max, the 25% max. Um, and this is what restricted free agency is for. This is why it exists. You have all the leverage. There's only a few teams next season that are going to have cap space. If one of them comes after DeAndre Ayton, so be it. Um, as you said, to me, the risk is twofold. Number one. You know, chemistry and happiness and you're trying to win a championship. The Suns are trying to win a championship. That's what they're trying to do. I don't think they're going to get there. But if they're, if, if this does hurt DeAndre Ayton's effort level or or, or he, he he tries to change his game in a certain way, like, oh, I've got to average X amount of points in some way that hurts the team by 2%, that's a big deal. I just don't buy that that's going to happen. I think DeAndre Ayton will play really well. I think he'll play exactly the same as he would have played had he signed a max extension. And I, I just think that will take care of itself and it'll be okay. To me, the only risk is exactly what you just said, which is a team can come in and hit you with a three year offer sheet. Now, the Suns, who had the opportunity to sign DeAndre Ayton for five years today, they can guarantee that that offer sheet's got to be three full years. Guaranteed. No options. And, and so you match it and you get him for the full three. There's no fakery. There's no anything. All they have to do is is, is is offer him a maximum qualifying offer on the first day of free agency, which is basically the contract that the max that he could have signed today. Um, that is – and we've seen teams come to regret, whether it was Kevin Love, Gordon Hayward, whoever, whatever mechanism you re-signed your own guy for. We have seen teams come to the last year of those shorter-than-expected contracts and say, oh, uh, boy, would we like to have one more year to sort this out or try to become good or try to become competent? Like th- That's that's a big deal. And the years here are the bigger deal to me than anything else. And I think what the Suns are doing is saying, we don't even think that offer sheet is coming because we look at the Pistons or the Spurs or whoever is going to have cap room. We don't think they're coming at them with an offer sheet. We're going to squeeze. and We're going to see if we can get a more tradable contract than a Max would be. I just can't. I can't get super duper up in arms about it. I get why people are. I get that Robert Sarver has a history of being a cheapskate. By the way, people are coming. the The, the way that people are politely saying that he's careful <laughs> with his money, he's forward thinking. Now he just he just doesn't want to cool. spend all that much money. Um, I just can't get that up and. I'm just not outraged. I wish I could be outraged. I'm just not.
1: <laughs> I'm outraged at the outrage. Yeah, I, I think the other difference here is compared to a few years ago when we saw the Brooklyn Nets after Sean Marks took over there go on this spree of signing guys to offer sheets that they probably thought were going to get matched and knew might not be that great for the team. And that's part of why you sign those offer sheets. Uh, they ended up with one of those in Alan Crabb, but also Tyler Johnson uh, with that, what became a backloaded offer for Miami. And I think, and by the way, I think, there,
0: I think the reason why the Nets, I'm just making this up, but I think the Nets... Or maybe, you know, they think, well, Kyrie Irving's unvaccinated. That's not a big deal because Alan Crabb is out there available. And Sean Marks cannot resist Alan Crabb. Al- throw Alan Crabb into the starting five. What's it, what's it, can we get him for $20 What's million? What's he worth?
1: The siren song of Alan Crabb. So the difference in the cap environment or the, the market environment is – Back then, free agency was a bit slower a process. Now, when so many of these deals miraculously come together in the opening hours after free agency begins on hopefully again next year, July 1st, if you can't sign that offer sheet until the end of the moratorium on July 6th, and then the Suns have 48 hours to decide whether to match it, and it's on your cap that entire time. You can't guarantee other players that cap space. It's a great July point. That's,
0: a, that's another thing the Suns are betting on uh, beyond what I talked about. Is like the teams just aren't going to do it. It's just inconvenient for them. You know we're matching. Why are you going to do it?
1: Right. And so you have to be a team that basically has nothing better to do with your cap space. Oklahoma City, maybe I could see that being the kind of team that, well, let's just mess with Phoenix down the road when we're actually going to be trying to win. So let's drop a a two plus one or a three plus one on Ayton with a trade bonus. And the contract's going to be front loaded in terms of salary. So it's a problem if he holds out Ben Simmons style down the future, All, all those sorts of things. But. There's a chance that might not happen. Now the other thing that I think is a little bit different that is an interesting variable is would Aton consider if he's so upset taking the one year goal no. final? No. Spoiler,
0: no. DeAndre isn't going to be the person who does that. I would be uh, Look, I I guess I shouldn't I shouldn't rule anything out. Do you think that's a reasonable expectation? I've just dis- I have just thrown that in the trash bin of things that will never happen. Is that going to is that possible? I mean it's possible. Do you actually think that's realistic?
1: I think it's low probability. I, I don't think it should be a big concern for the Suns, but it is, I think, more realistic because number one, his qualifying offer, you know, usually we're talking about like these guys in the that got drafted in the teens and it's like $5 million or something. His is $16 million, so he's not giving up as much money on the front end. And then he's just, because of the fact that he was a number one pick in, in an era where the rookie scale raised to match where their salary cap is, he's just made a lot of money so far in his career. It's not as big a risk as it would be for someone else, which is... You know, I think why people have thrown that out there is a possibility for Zion uh, down the road. But uh, I, I still would be really surprised if it happened.
0: Well, he, he, here's now. Let me be a little outraged for a second because you're sitting here saying, talking about how well the way they protect themselves from a real short offer sheet that three that less than three year offer sheet is to offer the maximum qualifying offer, the five year maximum qualifying offer. If you're thinking, well, at the worst case scenario, we can do that. Just do it now. It's the same contract. Number two, Brian Windhorst and Woj just published a story in which they reported that the Suns had broached—I think broach was the word that was used—had broached the idea with Aiton of a shorter max a three-year or four-year max instead of the five-year max, which, and and it's unclear from the reporting how much past broach. I don't know what bro, does broach just mean you mention it over a beer? Does broach mean it's ever written down? Does broach mean it's ever taken to Aiton directly? I don't know, but at some point somebody broached it. If you're willing to broach a three- or four-year max... You should be willing to broach the five year max because the years are good. This is a scenario where you want the years. The guy's twenty two years old, you want all the years. If you're like, Yeah, three year max for DeAndre Hayden, we prefer that to a five year max for DeAndre Hayden. you are smoking something serious. Like that's not a that's not a good approach. I don't unless I'm missing something.
1: I mean, that is what's fascinating about this is the idea that, and, and this is in that story by Woj and Brian Windhorst, the reference, that they were steadfast in just telling him, we don't think you're a max player, which is wild for a team that drafted him ahead of Luka Doncic three years ago.
0: But they were broaching the idea of offering a three-year max for a guy they don't think is a max player. Like, none of this makes any sense.
1: I mean, maybe there's something they they have some intuitive sense that his game is not going to age particularly well. I mean, one of the the examples I pointed out in my column in terms of you know centers kind of peaking relatively early, like Andre Drummond, the Pistons maxed him out, and I don't think anybody batted an eye at that. And then by the end of that five-year contract, he's playing for the minimum.
0: DeAndre Ayton is already so much better defensively than Andre Drummond ever was that I just and more skilled. And just he's just a better a better. I just don't get that part of it. I will say in now defending the Suns because my God, the Suns just driving me crazy in defending the Suns. You know, people. I'd be interested in your take on this. People bring up the the sort of reputational effects of decisions like this. Like you don't want to be known around the league is. An organization that's unfriendly to players or, you know, like this, the most famous example of this is when the Lakers extended Kobe, a ridiculous contract that was way overvalued, but it's Kobe Bryant and the signal they were sending to the league was we take care of our people. Now, I don't think the Lakers have to send any signal to anybody to make the people want to go play for the Lakers or the Lakers. But this idea that you are rewarded for sort of sending a message out to the market that we take care of our guys, we reward our guys, we treat them well. I just – I don't know that I've ever seen any proof that that's a real thing. The I I will say the Celtics reached a point where their reputation is sort of will trade you out of the blue. Like the Isaiah Thomas trade I think was a a little bit of a tipping point in the Celtics' reputation. But I I actually don't know that I've seen – I don't think like that's why Anthony Davis didn't want to go to the Celtics. I don't think that's why Kyrie Irving left the Celtics. I just—do you believe in this reputational thing? Is there something to it? Is there ever been a? Is there ever? Has anyone actually tried to look at this in some sort of academic way?
1: Not that I know of. I, I mean, I think it's probably mostly true at the extremes. For like the vast majority of the league, it really doesn't matter. To some extent, it might be self-fulfilling because. If the media keeps talking about your reputation as with players as being so bad, maybe by definition that makes players think that your reputation is that bad and that we're kind of, you know, it's kind of circular logic here. Uh, I, I mean, I think there's some question to that, but now the Suns can come back and point out, hey, we did take care of two of our other guys. And those are the ones that actually probably are much more meaningful in terms of whether they're going to pay the luxury tax in 22, 23 or not.
0: Well, let's talk about those because I actually thought both of those deals were sort of very interesting deals to dig into. Let's start with longtime Philadelphia 76er Mikael Bridges, who re-signed with the Suns on an extension for four years, $90 million, which I believe is locked in completely. That's 22 and a half a year. I think this one is really interesting. I, I, I love Mikael Bridges. You know what? I'm going to stop there. What's your take on the Mikael Bridges deal?
1: Yeah, I think this is one of those cases where he could have made more if he got to restricted free agency, because just every team needs a player like this. I I think there could have been a legitimate bidding war for his services. And it would have been one that probably would have reset the market a little bit for a three and D role player because, you know, there's not really necessarily been a three and D guy who has gotten quite this much money. I mean, Aaron Gordon is probably the closest comp on the extension that he signed with Denver earlier this year. And, but,
0: and the three, the three, he he's a two and D,
1: right? He, and and he's more of a playmaker with the ball in his hands, sometimes a distributor, that sort of thing, than than a this classic three and D archetype. Uh, he got a lot more than OG Inanobi, which was really interesting, but I think that Eninobi probably got too little rather than Bridges getting too much.
0: Um, I'm this is the discussion I wanted to have. Twenty-two and a half million a year for a three and D player is a huge amount. And this is the this is the player archetype that always inspires the sort of cold, calculated discussion of well, could we find 85% of his production at the minimum. Could we find 90% of his production for one third of the price? I, I went through all the wing contracts, the veteran wing contracts in the league this morning, just to sort of retest that theory. There's no question that Mikhail Bridges is way over market for a three and D player. Okay. There, are, there are circumstances supporting why that should be the case uh, and we could talk about that. I love Mikael Bridges. But just what do you think of that sort of general theory? And and when you go through contracts, what do you see in regards to it?
1: I do think that there is an element of regret sometimes in teams that pass on this type of player. And then they end up going to great lengths. So Philly is is actually the example of this probably because they draft Matisse Theibel, move up in the draft to make sure that they can get him. The year after they trade away Mikael Bridges, hoping that he can be this kind of player, and I think Matisse Thibault, I, I think we agree, is a better defensive player than Mikael Bridges. But Matisse Thibault
0: is a better defensive player than like, I mean, I just and then then anyone, basically anyone. He's I I don't know that he's a human being the way he moves around the floor. I think that there's something suspicious, frankly, that the league might want to investigate.
1: I love having been able to watch Matisse Theibel at UW for four years, being able to share this with NBA aficionados like yourself, where it was kind of just limited to a smaller group of us back when he was in college. But, uh, but you know, they're still chasing after this. You see the teams that let Danny Green go keep trying to acquire Danny Green type players after that. So. I I think it's reasonable to reset and rethink our expectations for this market. And then the other thing is Mikhail Bridges is still young enough that I think he can add a little bit of playmaking, you know, attack hard closeouts, that sort of thing, that does separate himself from that 80% that James Ennis, who is going to be strictly make open three, is not as capable of doing anything with the ball in his hands.
0: Yeah, when you look at the contracts like I did for the 3 and D guys around the league, Bridges can make the most of any of them. That's not disputable. And you test out the theory of like, could I get 90% of him for much less money? Because in a salary cap league, these are the questions. They suck. They're uncomfortable. You have to ask them. What you find is you're, you're really, there are certain types of players, right? There's like the undrafted second round guys that maybe you get a steal of a contract for a couple of years and then they get paid if they're good. They get paid, whatever. We'll, we'll talk about that. And, and lump those guys in with the minimum guys. And we can go through all the minimum guys. And the minimum guys are just like a prayer. Like you're just praying that one out of 10 chance you'll get 85% of McHale Bridges in this particular season. It's just a prayer. Then you have a class of players who either, who because they're on their second contracts and have already proven something, they make 8 to 12. That's your Reggie Bullock, Jeremy Lamb... Talen horton tucker luke Kennard, alec burks like there we can go there's a whole crew of these guys in their salary range and what you find is those guys usually have a big hole in their game whether it's they can't do anything off the dribble they're a defensive liability their three-point shot is unreliable like they're making 10 instead of 18 for a reason and 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 then you know then you, sometimes you get lucky and you get like a Dorian Finney Smith where you really have him on a bargain contract for four or five years, combined with his first and second contracts. That's pretty rare. You end up having to choose between just the the wing and a prayer of a minimum guy, or an eight to twelve million dollar guy. And sometimes those are just like total black holes of regret. Like Jetty Osman has just not worked out in Cleveland. He's making eight or nine million a year. This is my long way of saying that I don't. I think. The 85% theory, you feel that 10 or 15% so much more in the playoffs. It's it's an entirely different game. And whatever hole that is that encompasses that 15% becomes so exposed in the postseason and even more exposed the deeper you get. Mikael Bridges has no holes in his game. None. For what he is, you're not going to ask him to run a pick and roll. I think he ran 111 pick and rolls last year. That's roughly one a game considering how far the Suns played, right? But as a 3 and D guy, and I agree with you, I think one of the reasons I'm optimistic about this deal is he showed he's got a little more juice, pump, go, catch, drive, pull up for a mid-ranger, get to the rim a little bit more, shot the three well. Like he's got a little bit more juice. And I think having already showed that, He's probably got even more coming. Like what did he average last year? 15 a game? You tell if you told me he averages nineteen a game this year, I wouldn't be surprised. If you tell me he averages nineteen a game with half an assist or one assist more because he's advanced as a playmaker, more comfortable off the dribble, not gonna be surprised. So I think I think this is a totally fine deal. It is a lot for a three and D guy, but I think he is pretty close to an archetypal perfect three and D guy.
1: Yeah, it was Danny Green for a long period of time, and and now I think it probably is going to be Mikhail. And he's Bridges. never
0: Danny Green has never been able to do anything off the dribble like Mikhail Bridges can already do. Every Danny Green dribble is an is like a misadventure waiting to happen. And also, I love Danny Green very very slow.
1: I, I think the real sign that you'll know that he's that guy is when every player coming into the draft gets compared to him. That's that's the indication that you're the archetype, right?
0: Yeah, and and I think I think Bridges has a chance to like. becomes such a perfect three and D player that he almost can't be the archetype because he's an unreachable archetype because it's not realistic for, for someone to, to have that kind of ceiling. Now we'll see if the three pointer um, regresses a little bit, but I'm a Mikhail Bridges believer. I think he's an absolutely monstrous defensive player and I don't mind this deal at all. The Shamit one, the Shamit one surprised me a little bit, even though Monty Williams loves Shamit, had him in Philly, was a big reason they went and got him. Four years, 43, you can say, well, that's about the mid-level exception. Like, that's probably his market if he has a good season. I I guess I get it. I just really don't get the rush to do that because it's unclear to me how much he's going to play for Phoenix. Every team he goes to, Philly, Brooklyn, Clippers, et cetera, et cetera, like the idea of Landry Shamit ends up being more interesting than the actual player of Landry Shamit. Like, I'm still interested in the idea. The guy can really shoot. He can shoot off movement. He can handle a little bit. The defensive limitations are, I think I think he's actually a little bit better defensive player than people give him credit for, but for some reason, he just doesn't play very much when it matters, and I just, I, this one, it surprised me a little bit, that's all.
1: Yeah, I I think the same thing. I mean, I'm not allowed to invoke the name of the Milwaukee Bucks guard who signed a similar but shorter extension today. But uh, similar players where I think you have that question of on a team that's this good, and especially now a team that in both of these cases, perhaps more so in Milwaukee's case, has luxury tax concerns. Are you willing to commit this? And what is it going to cost you down the road because you're not willing to use your taxpayer mid-level exception on someone else, that sort of thing. Because there are, there are eventually going to be sacrifices, even if the Suns are willing to pay the luxury tax. There's a limit to that.
0: By the way, a couple of wing contracts I wanted to highlight. Javon Carter, three years, 11500000 million. That's got a chance to be a really good contract. But then you're like, he's six one. Like, he's not a 3 and D player like Mikael Bridges is a 3 and D player, even though he the guys he can D up, he can really D up. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith is on like a ridiculous three-year, $12 million contract. He's going to get paid this summer if he has a good year. So that va- value will disappear. Uh, sneaky good contract that I don't think got enough love, even though they won the championship. Pat Connaughton, three years, $16 million. I-, I don't know. I'd have to sit down and watch film of him defensively. Obviously, his three-point shot has oscillated up and down pretty wildly, and and I, I don't think he's sort of guarded with the respect of a good three-point shooter. That's a good contract. He's a good all-around player. Like some, It's hard to sneak those deals in under the radar, but they do exist. Um, and is Pat Connaughton 85% of McHale Bridges? I, may, maybe. I don't know. That, those are just ones to highlight. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So, who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Who do you want to talk about next? I'll let you pick. Give me a deal or a non-deal.
1: I think Jaron Jackson Jr. is probably the next one to hit because that's sort of the counterpoint in some ways to Aiden, where, you know, we definitely, given that he's coming off of an injury, went pretty aggressive in terms of value to ensure that this guy is going to stay here and be part of it, our future. And in uh, the benefit that they got out of that, that I think is really interesting, uh, is our colleague Bobby Marks reported is that that salary is going to start at its highest point, that contract, and then descend from there. Start near the maximum and descend from there. So by the end. I think especially in a rising cap environment, which we expect this to be once again, it could look like a bargain if he does continue to progress as a player.
0: Cap nerds like nothing more than a descending contract. I swear to God, every descending contract, like the greatest accomplishment of the Orlando Magic in the last five years has been descending contract. Oh, another descending contract for Jeff Weltman and John Hammond. The team stinks, but the contracts all descend. Incredible work. Everybody loves a descending contract. Um, I, uh, so, so are you saying they overpaid? Are you saying this is a good contract? What are you saying? I read your column, so I know kind of what you think. But what are you actually saying? Give it to me unvarnished.
1: Yeah, it was pretty wishy-washy in the call. if I'm going to admit it. I I think this was a bit of an overpay, given where he is. But Jaron Jackson's a fascinating player. I I saw that you mentioned that he was going to be on your list of what we were originally going to discuss, five most intriguing players. He was one of my last cuts from my list as well, because I think we still don't know exactly what he's going to be in the NBA. When I went back and looked at his stats, he was definitely a more efficient scorer in year two than I remembered him being. The weakness as a rebounder is a concern you know is he eventually going to be able to play five on a consistent basis or is he just going to get pushed around too much there and it means that he's better off as a power forward and now his shooting is you know it's a plus but it's not the huge bonus that it would be if he's a stretch five and is able to hold hang in at that position defensively same with his defensive versatility for that matter
0: yeah to me this deal is all about defense like i i i don't I'm not concerned with the fact that he looked rusty last year coming off the meniscus thing and and a lot of time off during a pandemic. That doesn't concern me. I think Jaron Jackson Jr. at four or five offensively is going to be a stud. The three-point shooting at his size and the variety of ways he can get off a three-point shot at his size. He he comes off screens like a guard. He can shoot pull-up threes off the dribble. like That's incredibly rare. To me, the question is, can he find a position on defense where he's not a liability? Can he hold his own at center? What does that look like? I remember talking to Taylor Jenkins, the Grizzlies coach, about this uh, after they got, or right before I think they got eliminated for the playoffs, talking about their future, and and he sees a world where they switch a lot more with Jaron Jackson uh, as a center specifically. I guess as the four too. Does that does that work? Does it not work? I don't know. As a four. Is he mobile enough to guard all these stretch fours who run around to shoot threes now? Like I just don't he just hasn't been very good defensively. He hasn't a good dropping back. He's just sort of not big and scary enough to be a drop back defender. Uh, even Jonas Valanciunas kind of made it work for them as a drop back guy because he's just enormous. And Jaron Jackson Jr. is not enormous. But I don't four years 105 to me, given his offensive skill set, is completely fine. I bet he plays up to the contract if he's healthy. I have no problems with it. I, I think that's just one is the Grizzlies you you got to pay.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, the question here again would be the same. Do you use the hammer of restricted free agency? I think John Collins was an interesting comp for him, and he ended up getting about the same, a little bit lower average annual value after in their case, they didn't get an extension done. John Collins has a great season, a great postseason in particular, and then establishes himself at that level in restricted free agency where they just get that deal done without an offer sheet.
0: And they've got huge cap flexibility going forward a bunch of guys on value contracts we'll see what they do with Slomo mo and dylan brooks is their free agencies approach coming up i think both of those guys will be available via trade uh, at some point if they haven't I, I, whatever i think they'll be available via trade for future assets maybe they will maybe they won't that's just my take i just think the grizzlies they they have a fascinating decision to make long term how aggressively do we try and get a third star? Do we have the goods to get a third star? What does Ja plus Jackson plus a bunch of good role players, where does that take us? And a lot of that has to do with how good the first two stars are. And, and you know, is Jaron Jackson a perennial all-star? Is he gets in one all-star game here and there? I, I don't know, but I do think I think that deal is, uh, is fine. Can I pick the next one? Go for it. Kevin Herder resigns with the Atlanta Hawks for four years 65 million about 16 a year. True story Kevin Pelton I went to my offseason I have this big running document during free agency in the draft where I update salaries and I have all this I estimated 16 a year for Kevin Herder so I almost got it on the nose um the Hawks are you know they've extended Capella like 21 22 a year Collins has got paid like 25 a year Trey obviously got the max. Hunter's coming next. Reddish is coming next. Here's 16 for Herder. Um, Bogdanovich is still here for at least one more year and then as a player option in 23-24 at 18 a pop. Um, what do you think of this one? Red Velvet. Kayvon.
1: So I think, first off, I, I don't like that as a nickname. You know, Call him Kevin. But I I think it's an interesting transition because I think the Memphis is in some ways where Atlanta was a year ago in terms of, A lot of these young guys on rookie contracts some promising players, we haven't yet coalesced and put it all together. They've been better, certainly the Grizzlies have, than the Hawks had before last season. The Hawks then went and used all of their flexibility to add a bunch of veterans to this group and accelerate the process with Bogdanovich and Gallinari and Capella before that. Memphis, it seems like, is going to use it to try to make things is smooth and is possible in the future by, you know, we're going to take on bad salary. Now we're going to start Jackson's salary high, but in a few years, we're going to have Zaire Williams on a rookie contract, this Lakers pick on a rookie contract and Jackson's salary lower. So they're trying to mitigate the problem that Atlanta is now facing, which is, okay, it's great that we've got all this talent. How do we keep everybody without paying an exorbitant luxury tax bill that's not going to be realistic probably in either of those markets. And so that herder at 16 million, I think is probably right about the right price point where this contract is still tradable. If we decide that Deandre Hunter and Cam Reddish are our wings of the future at some point, it's, you know, still good money for him, for somebody who is opposed to Aiden. And what we talked about earlier has not made very much money on his rookie contract thus far. So I, I think I liked it all around.
0: I like it. I like Kevin Herter. I think everything I just said about wings applies to Kevin Herter. He's young. He can really shoot check He's a good playmaker, secondary playmaker, check. I think defensively, he's pretty solid. Like, like he he fights hard, he's long, he's big, he re, he's a good rebounder for his position. I love watching him rebound. I just think he's, like, that same 85% theory. People are going to overreact and say Game 7 against the Sixers, that's what got him paid. He torched Seth Curry, blah, blah, blah. I'm sure that helped. I'm sure that was brought up in the... I'm sure the deck, that's what we call these things now, the deck of of the presentation by his agent included when did we start doing that? But anyway, the deck probably had game seven in it. Um, and and I, I just think Kevin Herter's is really good. The cap's gonna keep going up. this is a, it, at worst, it's a tradable contract. At best it's a really good contract. and I have to, I gotta tell you, the Hawks, they had to max out Trey Young. they did. He deserves it. Collins, Capella and now Herder. To get them this far below, not that any of them were going to be max players, although John Collins wanted to be, to get them this far below the max, you're approaching a point that, depending on what happens with Hunter and Reddish, that six guys total that we've now named, that you might be able to keep five instead of four, depending on your willingness to go like 10 million over the tax. 12 million over the tax. Maybe you have no willingness to do that. You certainly don't want to play the repeater tax. That's something to consider down the line. But it's not like completely untenable to keep five of those guys. Now, the thing that could make it untenable is if DeAndre Hunter comes out this year and lights the NBA on fire and he showed signs of doing like everything we just said about Mikhail Bridges, he showed signs of being like, I can even do more than that. I can post up, I can run pick and roll, I can bulldoze people on switches I can do lots of everything if he becomes a guy that people look at as well that's that's a 25 to 30 million dollar player then my my whole thing blows up but I think I just think Kevin Herter is good and this is what you pay for good two-way wings
1: yeah, and they're in a situation where, yeah, 2023-24 when Reddish and Hunter are on new deals and and Bogdanovich is in the last year of his contract, Capella's in this new extension. That could get a little tricky, but they can probably avoid the tax next season, 22-23. And you've got a long time to figure out what's going to happen between now and 2023-24. I mean, if all these guys are worth that kind of money on extensions, that's a problem, but it's a good problem to have.
0: On the flip side, they are um they are as many people have noted the fact that all of these contracts are good and expensive and they own all their picks they are sitting there in sneaky prime position you know they're not brought up a lot of times as the team that can trade for a star and and part of that is because they don't need some of the stars like the, some of the stars that have been bandied about it, i mean there's no need for them to trade to trade for Damian Lillard even though that would be spectacular to watch uh even Beal I just I don't love like I don't really look at this team as like they're a Bradley Beal away from being super interesting. He would help, but they've got a lot of good guards and wings. But they're just sitting there in case something happens. In case like young know, Carl Anthony Downs becomes available, in case whatever, like they're sitting there with lots and lots of stuff. Really, like Travis Schlenk in this ownership kind of bit by bit just this is a good team with a good... It's a good team that's good now, expensive now, and still has a good future ahead of it. That's a hard place to get to, and that's where they are.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, a year ago... Now, like, literally a year ago, because free agency hadn't happened at this point, they were this team coming off of these lottery seasons, you know, hadn't been to the to the playoffs an extended period of time. Lloyd Pierce was giving playoff guarantees... And it seemed like, uh-oh, they could go either direction. And everything has broken perfectly for them, uh, alas, since since they
0: moved on from Lloyd Pierce. I, I'm still on my wing thing. I should have also mentioned Justin Holiday. Justin Holiday's is good in making like $6 million a year. Is he 85% of McHale Bridge? He might be. But you know the players I always think of, by the way, when I think of the missing 15%, the, the wing players specifically that I always think of are when Portland would get to the playoffs every single year, like, oh, Portland are pretty good. Like, look at their lineup. Regular, ah, Damian Lillard, McCollum, blah, blah, And then they'd get to the playoffs, and Maurice Harkless and Al Mino would be at the three and the four. And every defense would be like, yeah, you, go, you guys go ahead. Like, we're not even we, – we didn't guard you that carefully in the regular season. We didn't really think about it much. It's playoff time. Like, I'm going to maybe sit – literally sit in the paint on my ass and you can shoot all the threes you want and they couldn't ever make enough to make teams pay like those are the guys i always think about oh that's where the missing 15 percent is right there
1: yeah i mean i think to go back to bridges the thing is you just don't have to worry about that position for the Suns as long as he stays healthy and the that is a very valuable thing to
0: have Can we talk about the other Bridges, Miles Bridges? There was very little chatter in Charlotte that he was going to get extended. I don't think there was all that much dialogue between the two sides from what I had heard. There was no optimism going into today that there would be a last-minute deal. He's a really, really interesting player to me. Um, I I don't even know what his ideal position is. I don't know that it even matters. I don't know that I believe in the three-point shooting that he showed last year, including some off the dribble threes. I don't know how good he is defensively or how good he can get defensively. But I know he's a basketball player. He can pass. He can playmake. He can do a little bit of everything. And I tend to like guys like that that just, you know, I don't quite know what they're going to be, but I know that they're just players. They feel the game well. They read the game well. And obviously, he is just absolutely the most hellacious dunker in the NBA. I rewatched his dunk on Clint Capella the other day for some reason, and I almost – I, I kind of shuddered in my chair at, at like a vicarious sympathy shudder for Clint Capella. He looked like he just hurt Clint. I mean, it's just the guy's absolutely monster, Dunker. What do you think is fair money for him? Are you surprised they, I mean, they have the cudgel of restricted free agency. So to me, it's not a surprise at all that they didn't get a deal done. But like, what what would you have done in their shoes?
1: Yeah the Bridges Bridges comparison is interesting since those guys were drafted right around the same spot you know similar places in the same draft they don't have the same games since as you mentioned you sort of alluded to Miles Maybe is more of a power forward, maybe even more of a small ball five in in some lineup. Some of the Charlotte lineups they threw out there, depending on how you categorize him and PJ Washington, and his game is a little different in terms of it's not like Mikael Bridges. You can put him on any team, you know exactly what he's going to do. He's going to be in that three and D role. Miles Bridges, I think, is a little trickier to fit on a different team, but on a Charlotte team that has Lamelo Ball that has some of the was was willing to switch and play zone defense as they were last year. I thought he was a really nice fit there. Uh, I think it's going to be important for him to show he can maintain the efficiency he showed last year over a second season, the three-point shooting being a big factor in that. If he does, you know, maybe you edge closer to that 20 million a year as opposed to maybe they were thinking more like 15 million a year in an extension.
0: I said 480. 4 years 80 million. I don't think they would have. I don't think Miles Bridges and his agents, who are at Clutch, I don't think they would have accepted four and eighty. I think they would have said, "Let's move on to restricted free agency." And if I'm Charlotte, that's about as high as I'm going to go because I just don't know. You know, he was a, he was a reserve last year when Hayward was healthy. Like he was the he was the odd man out in the starting five. Uh, I think he's clearly earned his way into the starting five, even if that has to come at the expense of someone else that you think is part of your core, like whether it's PJ Washington or whatever. I think he has to start. Um, but i you know i need to know which of those skills are going to go like he's got a bunch of b skills and i love guys who got b like b across the board i got to see an a somewhere other than killing people with dunks in 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 broad daylight um, to go higher than that but uh, i i am interested that there just didn't seem to be much uh, dialogue there and i and 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 same with colin Sexton. i think there was a lot of dialogue with colin Sexton. i think there were numbers bandied about but i don't think there was anything Anything close today? Where are you on Sexton? Low. I can already tell you're on the low. You're 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 not super high.
1: Yeah, it's like I don't I don't want to be super negative about him because I think he's improved tremendously in his last couple of years. He's proven that he can be a, a very useful scorer at the very least in the league. It's the question of rounding out his game with everything else. And he's just never rated particularly well in terms of on off or the impact statistics. And, you know, sometimes guys grow out of that. You could have said that about Zach Levine, uh, you know, maybe even a year ago. And then he took a dramatic, dramatic leap last year where I do think he's a legit, you know, all-star top 25 to 30 guy in the league now, despite his defensive challenges. Uh, we'll see whether Sexton can get there. There's a, there's a path, but I, I'm not
0: optimistic. Not surprised the deal didn't get done. I, I just wouldn't given given the ambitions that I'm sure Sexton and his representation had. I, I if I'm Cleveland, I'm just saying that's fine. Just like and honestly, like if you're unhappy this year, it, whatever. Like I don't even care. Like our team's not good. We're just not. We're not going to be winning a lot of games. It's not like we're, we're not the Suns. We're not trying to win the championship. We're trying. We're trying to be in the tier above the Pistons, the and the Magic in the East, basically. Um, one more, and then we'll do intriguing players non-rookie extension edition: the Pacers and Malcolm Brogdon agreed to a two-year extension atop his deal with now four years going out on his deal notably that makes him untradeable for the season so you can kiss the Ben Simmons to I'm not sure you can kiss the Ben Simmons Indiana rumors completely goodbye because there are other players on Indiana um, depending on TJ Warren's health which my god what what the hell is going on there um, that Philly might like, and I think there, I think we might see extension talks go to the wire tonight with Karis Levert, uh, and maybe that mirrors what happened with, with Brogdon and takes him out of the trade market. What, if anything, do you make about Indiana just sort of kicking the not kicking the can, but just saying, we're happy with you guys. We're happy with, with to extend you at sort of about your equivalent salary. You're happy to take it for reasons, X, Y, and Z. Let's just make a deal. Yeah, I
1: thought the most interesting aspect, possibly, of the Brogdon deal is this is somebody who NBA teams have been worried about his health for such a long period of time. It's part of why he fell to the second round in the draft. It was supposedly part of why the Bucs were willing to uh, send him to Indiana in a sign and trade instead of re signing him. And, you know, a, a decision that I criticized at the time, but, you know, it worked out in the end because they were able to put Drew Holiday into that spot. And Indiana now has had him for a couple of years, obviously has more information about his health than any of the rest of us do and they're willing to go four years out for him so that that to me is a a really good sign and then yes i think the the trade aspect is the other you know important implication here he doesn't have to be a part of a package for simmons but you would think that he's the kind of player type that philadelphia would be targeting if they are willing to make that deal for anything short of another stock
0: yeah if i'm philly and my concern is i gotta win this year and so I got to find players who fit the best around Embiid. I want Brogdon and Warren, depending on, again, Warren's health, which is now this ongoing mystery of when is he going to come back or not. I, I'm more interested in those guys than Lavert because I, I feel like the fit process with him is going to take a little longer. Yep. The other guys are hand in glove with Embiid. By the way, I haven't I haven't asked you about this. I know you did your projections. I read them. What do you – if, if – If Philly gets, I guess we just have to assume Simmons is going to play and be good, and so that's the version of Philly that we're going to get. What did your projections say for this scenario where he just is absent the whole season for whatever reason, and, and they don't trade him? So it's just like that roster spot is a zero for the whole season. What did that do to Philly's record in your projections?
1: I mean, that's the that's the default I have projected them so far. I haven't actually looked at them with Simmons, and they're still third in the East in that scenario. So I, I don't know if that – maybe Man. they move ahead of Brooklyn to second in the regular season if he plays.
0: I, I must be too warped by my last vision of Philly, which was a collective pooping of the bed against the Hawks. But third in the East with zero from that roster spot – I can't get there. I, I I actually said on this podcast last week or two weeks ago. You know, I think the top six in the East for me are Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Atlanta, Boston, Miami, Philly, and whatever order you want to put the the four under the top two. Um, and I think Philly with a zero for Simmons is at most risk of falling out of the top six. Your stuff completely disagrees with that and said I'm being and says I'm being a moron. They're third. I just I mean, that that to me is like. I, I, and I love Joel Embiid's incredible. He was per minute, maybe the best player in the league last year. I just, I must be missing something.
1: I, I was surprised by it too, because it's the scenario of what about the games that Embiid misses? Is there a way that you can win even forty percent of those games if you don't have Ben Simmons in the lineup? That seems optimistic from to me. But you know, I think part of it is probably. As much credit as he got for their defense, if you look at it from an adjusted plus minus standpoint, Embiid was much more important at that end of the court. And then they, you know, some of those minutes presumably are going to the aforementioned Matisse thiable So there's still a very good defensive team, even without the runner up for Defensive
0: Player of the Year. On Indiana, Malcolm Brown is good. Karis Levert's less, I think Karis Levert's good. I, I just am less, I, I, I'm less convinced of his fit and what he's doing on a truly great team but that's a problem that indiana doesn't have to worry about right now those guys are good their contracts are fine i have no problem for and and they both have had injury in brogdon's case injury worries and some injury history and in lavert's case extreme injury history they both have reason to, to secure the bag if and if this lavert deal gets done maybe it won't i don't know again we're recording now it's four eleven pacific time um I just like I'm I'm kind of getting tired of the Pacers. Like something just has to give there, and something gave with the coaching change. And it's a it's you can't it, it's inarguable that they made an incredible upgrade at coach, and maybe they just want to see how that works. It just I just am kind of getting bored of it, and I'm not. And this is not me saying blow it up. They have to tank. They have to because Indiana doesn't do that, and in fact, they have been proof positive of. We can stay afloat around 500, keep making the playoffs, and then boom, we'll get we'll get a good draft pick or we'll make a, a great acquisition, and suddenly we're toe to toe with the Heat in the conference finals. Like we can go from the middle to the top. We've done it. We think we can do it again. It's really hard to do. This group is really talented. Maybe maybe if they all coalesce, they can they can make that same move. I'm just skeptical, and I'm kind of getting tired of like it. Just feels like something has to give, and nothing ever gives.
1: I do think they're the best outcome like which team would benefit the most from trading for ben simmons i i think they're the answer more so than sacramento more so than cleveland accelerating the process more so than san antonio consolidating parts just because i i think indiana with simmons could be you know a top five top 16 even better ways. than Minnesota,
0: be- even more than minnesota
1: Minnesota is yeah. my
0: number one in these rankings just because I think Simmons and Cat. I, I, um, and, you know, obviously they're going to keep Edwards, but just Simmons plus Cat, I'm excited. But India, I get what you're saying because Indiana has a talent base already. San Antonio is like, I'm trading the farm to get Ben Simmons. And then Ben Simmons looks around and says, like, all right, I'm going to war with Yaka Pertl. All right. Uh, Josh Primo. Um, well, DeJounte Murray's gone. Lonnie walker has gone. Kelvin Johnson, you might be pretty good. Like, what are we doing here?
1: Yeah, and they're in the West. It's a different standard in terms of I think what it takes. Even though the the top of the East is probably better right now, uh, I do think Indiana could get into that realm. Whereas Minnesota and San Antonio, you're probably still not a making the playoffs without the play in team. I don't think
0: Minnesota. Boy, do they need some joy there? Let's. I, I really, if there's a team that just is a neutral party, I'm hoping they come out of the gates and we wake up in like a month and a half. And like, whoa, the Wolves are twelve and seven. What's going – and by the way, Wolves, Wolves, who's ever running anything to do with the – I don't even know anymore. Who's ever running the Wolves and controlling the Twitter? Just, just a tip. If you're like 3-0, and do not do the thing where you retweet all the people who were doubting you before the season and be like, who's sleeping on us now? We're 3-0 because what will happen is you will be 3-14 and in three weeks because th- you're the Minnesota Timberwolves. Just shut up. If you start off well, don't brag about anything. Just, just keep the train moving. I couldn't believe that a couple years ago when they were like three and one, so whatever they were, five and three. Oh, you're still sleeping on us, Perk. And per- yeah, we're all sleeping on you. You're five and three. You stink. And then you end up. Sleeping. So just be quiet. Because of the eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I did my five most intriguing players in the league column today. It's something I do every year. I really like doing it. I don't pick rookies. I rarely pick sophomores. We can quibble about what Chuma Okeke is um this is technically his i I don't know what the i don't it's his third calendar year being part of an nba team you're a service and i don't pick superstars because like oh we're intrigued by how russell westbrook fits in los angeles yeah no we're all intrigued by that so i picked darius garland robert williams the third time lord just come time lord talon horton tucker OG Ananobi, who would normally be too qualified to be in this column, but that's the point of putting him in the the column. I think OG Ananobi has a chance to be really, really good. And I'm forgetting who the fifth guy is in my own column. (laughs) Who is it? I have to go look it up. Someone who I'm clearly not that intrigued by.
1: No, I think you mentioned everyone, didn't you? I think you might have just miscounted.
0: Did I just miscount? Am I so tired I just miscounted? Time Lord, Garland, Garland, uh, Chuma... I think everyone in, and OB Taylor Horton Tucker. yeah, I got everyone. Yeah. Uh, and then I said, you know what let's do a podcast about it and you got to pick your five most intriguing players. So uh, give me give me your first one.
1: Okay, so I I did not know about your criteria about not usually picking second year players and I can
0: make Kevin, you' are an adult person. you can make whatever criteria you want.
1: That's probably the biggest reason why we have zero overlap whatsoever in our list of intriguing players. In fact, the nine players I cut down from to get to five, no overlap, but let's start with where you ended that last conversation. Anthony Edwards. Why is there no conversation about this guy who averaged 23.8 points per game in the second half of a season? The season is a rookie with reasonable efficiency. I mean, he improved more dramatically within the season than I, I think we've, almost ever seen from a guy who was just, you know, in your parlance, barfing up 20 footers off the dribble. A lot of the time in the first half of the season to the second half, Chris Finch comes in as head coach, Carl Anthony Towns gets healthy and plays with him. The vast majority of their minutes together were in the second half. And not only does his shot quality improve, so does his accuracy on those shots relative to the shot quality, according to Second Spectrum's measures. And all of a sudden, this guy that we thought might be, you know, uh, an Andrew Wiggins style volume scorer his entire career is scoring with reasonable efficiency at what age 20?
0: Um, I, I, I what he did in the last 30 games was real to me. I remember writing a column where I said something like, I mean, it seems dumb to say it now, but to, to me, he almost rendered D'Angelo Russell an afterthought in terms of Minnesota's long, long, long-term trajectory. The team is about Edwards and Towns now. Those are the fulcrums of the team. That said, I, lo- I, I thought his pick-and-roll game advanced. I mean, he is a—you can't it, when he starts to get rolling downhill— There's not much you can do to stop him from getting to the basket. He's obviously got to improve his finishing and playmaking. But D'Angelo Russell spotting up around an Anthony Edwards, Carl Towns pick and roll is an interesting sort of secondary option within the offense. Guys will challenge him to make shots by going under and all that. He's got the build to be a good defensive player. There's a long way to go there. But I'm with you. I thought that stretch was real. He's got a chance to be a superstar on offense as a scorer, and he's explosive as all hell. I, I buy it. I buy the off- I buy the offensive numbers they put up when Russell, Towns, and Edwards were on the floor together, which were incredibly explosive. Like the defensive numbers were also incredibly implosive. But I buy. I buy the offense. I think that's a good offensive setup. And Chris Finch knows how to coach big guys who can pass. I'm excited to watch the Wolves. I buy it.
1: Yeah, I went and looked at guys who improved their true shooting percentage the most from the first half to the second half of the season. There was three guys who did it by at least like a hundred points on the thousand point scale. Edwards was obviously one of those. Uh there were eight guys league wide, three of them were on the Timberwolves I guess is what I was trying to say there. Josh Kogey and then and then McDaniels as well. All three of them did it.
0: I couldn't be more all in on McDaniels. I I must have seen like the right I saw the I see every team a lot but I just I kept seeing great McDaniels games. And so I I missed all the ones where he was like 105 and had three points. I just didn't see any of those or didn't see as many of them. I am all in. Um okay, I, I I again, I have I think the Wolves I keep saying this. I think the Wolves are like a – should be at worst a 50-50 bet to get into the play-in. I just think they're better than San Antonio. They're better than – I mean, New Orleans is is like – I don't know. What the hell is going on there? Zion's coming back for the opener. Now he's coming back indefinitely. I said, yeah, Like I think they – you could argue they could be better than the Kings. I think the Kings have a chance to be solid this year. I feel like I've said that every year for the past 10 years. (laughs) Um uh, I, I just think Minnesota is going to be solid. Give me your second. Uh, give me your second choice. So sort of related
1: to the Philly discussion, although maybe going the opposite direction. Tyrese Maxey. I mean, I feel like feels like a lot of people are just saying, okay, if Ben Simmons is out, they just have Tyrese Maxey and they're set at point guard. And it's like, well, are we sure about that? And I think part of it is, you know, last year if you look at the games where he played twenty plus minutes in a game, he averaged twenty points per thirty six, decent true shooting percentage. And a game score of 14.9 per 36 minutes. If you look at all the other games he played, that drops to 17 points per 36 minutes, a 500 true shooting percentage, and a 10.8 game score. And that worked well when you've got Ben Simmons, because on those nights where Tyrese Maxey has a good matchup, all right, let him go. He can play the entire fourth quarter, that sort of thing. And those other games, he's going to play 8 to 12 minutes. Well, if Ben Simmons isn't in the picture, all of a sudden those bad nights, he's still going to need to play 20 plus minutes. I mean, I guess you're, you're getting more Shake Milton at that point. But that's a, that's a big step for, second year, for a second year player. And I think one of the things that often happens with young guys uh, is that people just pay so much more attention to their good games than their bad games. And therefore, it seems like they're playing at a higher level overall than they actually are.
0: Yeah, you're preaching to the preacher. I've I've said almost the exact same thing about Tyrese Maxey where I just can't believe how many people are like, well, so what if Ben Simmons doesn't play? Tyrese Maxey is ready. And look, I thought he showed a ton in his rookie season. I think people are probably over-remembering the game six against the Hawks where he had 16 points and kind of helped save Philly and, and set up game seven at home, which didn't go well.
1: Um, yeah, and hindsight, hindsight might have been better for the Sixers to just lose Game Six. Maybe we're not in this whole mess.
0: You know, boy, I never thought about that hype, but that just threw me for a loop. Then the pass never happens. The Simmons pass never happens. Then they never have Joel Embiid being like, "Well, that there was that one possession where we got a dunk, but we didn't get a dunk." so we got one point. Joel Embiid is like Shakespeare of trash talk. It's just, it's unbelievable. The, I will never. He never got enough people that gravitate to the obvious Joel Embiid things, okay. He's talking trash on just destroying Andre Drummond's entire ego and self-worth and putting everyone in the basket and blah blah. I just the the Instagram video comment about Ben Simmons was so good and so cutting and said with such politeness that it, it was <laughs> it was Shakespearean. Um, anyway. But yes, I don't buy Maxi is fine. I just people again like he's a second-year player. It's going against starters, if that's what ends up happening, is going to be difficult. But I am the guy can score, and he's got good instincts, and he's and he is fearless. And fans love fearless, and Philly fans especially right now are going to love them some fearless. Any other Maxi thoughts? This is but this is why I can't believe that they're projected third without Simmons. I just can't believe it.
1: I mean, fifth, fifth in defense. So that's, that's, I think the big part of it. Well, you want to talk about fearless? Should we transition to my next player? Sure. Jordan Poole.
0: Oh, baby. I'm so excited for Jordan Poole. You don't even have to sell me, but sell me.
1: Preseason MVP, Jordan Poole, with due respect to uh, Isaiah Joe, who actually led, led all players in my wins above replacement player metric in the preseason Uh, He and Steph Curry, I think you mentioned this last week on the pod, played just 221 minutes together all of last season. In the preseason, they played together 46 minutes. And that span, Poole scored 40 points on 14 of 28 shooting, 7 of 18 from 3. And Steph had 48 points in 46 minutes on 16 of 32 shooting. So I don't think they're going to stay that hot. But it's intriguing because Poole is kind of playing like someone who has paid a lot of attention to Steph. And now he's making those shots. And if there's two guys out there doing that, you know, not that he's doing the beautiful game stuff that Steph is moving without the ball, but if there's two guys you have to account for doing that, I I don't know what you do defensively, especially if and when Klay Thompson comes back.
0: You know, you don't think they're going to stay that hot? You know who does think they're going to stay that hot? (laughs) Steph Curry and especially Jordan Poole. I, I think the Warriors might be the single most interesting team in the NBA this year. The projections for them are all over the place. You've seen –
1: Unanimously unanimously bad, I feel like, the statistical projections.
0: Well, I think Vegas – well, this is not statistical, but they're over – Right. Their over-under is pretty high. Hollinger has them super low. And it's funny. I was very low on them two seasons ago. I picked them to miss the playoffs. Obviously, that's when Steph got hurt. They looked horrible, but then Steph got hurt three games into the season. You just wash your hands of the whole thing. Um, I'm, I'm much higher on them than consensus – I think their ceiling is finals. Now, that ceiling obviously depends on Klay Thompson coming back and being 85% or whatever of what he was, which maybe may we may in four months be like, well, that was totally unreasonable. Um, it also depends on them holding the fort until that theoretical Klay Thompson comes back, and Jordan Poole's play is a big reason why I'm optimistic they can do that. I may be overweighting the – I mean whatever they finished on they finished on like a 15 and 5 kind of run and I think if you even zoom out further than that it's it was 20 something and whatever I just they just looked like the warriors to me because they stopped playing Wiseman they started playing players who could play their system including Wanza Scott and Anderson who's just good like that dude's good he's a good basketball player um, I may be overrating that because you know it's the end of the season. Some teams aren't tanking, but the West is still is still pretty tough. And their schedule was West heavy. I, I don't know. I'm I'm high I'm higher on them than I, if you're telling me the projections are unanimously low, then I guess I'm rejecting the math. Even though I understand I understand why the math is what it is. The math is like Otto Porter was fat. Nemani Bialica couldn't do anything for whoever he was on last year. Miami and Sacramento. How are we counting on those guys? Kaminga, question mark. Muzi Modi, Mater, means Moody, Minza Moody, Moses Moody, question mark. Um, Wiseman, question mark. I-, I get it. I just, I like their team. I can't, I can't help it.
1: I'm also rejecting the projections, but I'm not rejecting the math because part of the math is that in the preseason, 56% of their shots were threes, which was number one of any team. And I feel like that sort of, uh more relentless three-point seeking makes them a much more dangerous team and then i think the thing with bielitsa and and otto porter and and iguodala is you know you just put guys that know how to play basketball in this system and everything runs so much more smoothly than even perhaps more talented players in a vacuum or if you distributed them randomly across all 30 teams like kelly Ubre. But you put these guys in the Warriors system with Steph Curry's shooting and the ability to move without the ball, with Draymond Green's intelligence and defense, it just works.
0: Uh, they, they are. I just they they are one of the ones that I'm just interested to see what the outcome is if they're—if they're healthy and this like if they take up the wrong injury, all of this stuff goes out the window. I just would like—I would have loved to have seen two years ago what team when the team that 1920 team that ended up missing the bubble and all that, like how good they would have settled into being if they had just stayed healthy. I, I was pessimistic about them. I would have just loved to see the thought exercise. Ironically, I remember Hollinger being super optimistic about them that year and to the point, I think he wrote something about how, you know, well, Steph's the best offensive player. One of them, Draymond's the best defense player. Like, you can't miss the playoffs with those guys. And I was like, well, I just think the rest of their team is not very good. I would have loved to have seen it play out. Okay, so that's three. We're all excited about Jordan Poole. I'm, I'm ready. I believe in him as a scorer. I believe in him as a secondary playmaker. I believe I'm in. Who's number four?
1: Patrick Williams who I think is a linchpin to making this whole Chicago thing work, even though he barely played in the preseason when the Bulls were a juggernaut during the preseason with the likes of... Yeah, they're hanging Javante a banner. Gilles. Their fans are
0: hanging a banner already. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Like as, as someone who has urged the Seahawks to hang the DVOE banners, I can't say anything. Uh, but with the likes of Javante Green and, and Derek Jones and Alizé Jr. playing power forward, that's going to be Patrick Williams during the regular season. And you know, I think we talked about him a fair bit on the pod last year when we did All-Rookie Team and how his advanced stats were not nearly as good as the eye test was because he just wasn't necessarily doing a ton on the court. So even though he had a league average true shooting percentage and shot 39% on threes, his usage rate was so low. He only attempted 2.5 threes per 36 minutes. And in that context, encouraging to see him get off three in 22 minutes in the lone preseason game he played and make a couple of them. I think he's a legit three-point shooter. I buy that, uh, even if I don't think he's going to be a high-volume guy until he quickens his release. And then the Bulls were somehow number one in defensive rated in the preseason, partially because they played Cleveland a bunch, and opponent shot 29 percent on threes, which ranked 29th in the league. You've, dug, you've if- dug
0: so deep into preseason stats. I'm getting I'm getting a little uncomfortable. I gotta be. Honest. You looked up <laughs> opponent three point shooting in preseason to see if the Bulls' defense is real or not. And it, look, if their defense is average this season, exactly. that's a home run outcome for them. That they will be in the playoffs for sure if they have an average defense.
1: So the statistical projections are also unanimously negative about the Bulls, but I I'm getting I'm coming around a little bit on, you know, the idea that at least they're upper half of the plate.
0: Uh I, I think their floor is like seven eight. I have them in a tier with the Knicks at like seven eight, seven eight, nine, maybe if you want to put Charlotte. I'm I'm unreasonably high on Charlotte. I completely i I own my unreasonableness about Charlotte. I'm I'm super high on them. Um, your unreasonable high about
1: Charlotte is the way I feel about Toronto and Washington.
0: Yeah. You know, I was arguing with the scout about Washington a few days ago and, and he asked me, who do you think wins more games, Washington or Chicago? And I said, Chicago for sure. And he said, well, about how many I said, well, I don't know, five, like a lot, like five. And, and I, he almost talked me into it. Like the wizards are deep. They're, I know they're deep. The wizards are deep at every position, which is super important in the regular season. I just look at them and I'm like, what are they What are they good at? Like they were a bad defense last year and then they surged at the end, which I don't know if that was real or not. They were a, a bad offense even though they look – or an average offense even though they look on paper like this should be an incredible offense. I, but, but average and average is 500. That's average and that's all it's going to take to be in this conversation we're talking about. So I, I guess I, maybe I'm sleeping on – Toronto, I just don't know what to make of. I don't know what to make of them. I think their offense is going to be a struggle. Their defense could be absolutely hellacious. I, I don't. I just don't know what to make of them. I, I, I plead. I, igno- I plead ignorance on that one.
1: I just think that the the psychic boost from being back in Toronto, along with. Their luck, I mean, the luck ended up working out for them because they got the number four pick and, and drafted uh, Scotty Barnes, who looked terrific in the preseason. But the number of close games they lost, like all of those things, if those flip a little bit in addition to just having some actual home court advantage, I feel like that that could be enough to get them back into that mix.
0: On Pat Williams, I'm a huge fan. I, obviously, to, to, you just look at him and you're like, well, this guy's going to be a monster defensive player. I believe it is Jumper. I mean, his, his long two is already super smooth. All he's got to do is extend that out. I think he's going to become a good, a good playmaker, secondary playmaker as a young player, and we'll see what he develops into a, as a veteran player. But I'll go you one further. Like, I don't think he's just the linchpin of what they're trying to do this year. I think he is one of the most important players in the entire league for the next five years because if you look at all the players and picks the Bulls got from tanking, from the Jimmy Butler trade, teardown. Like they're all, almost all of them are gone and, and ended up, you know, other than Levine ended up not giving them all that much in return. Now, Wendell Carter Jr. helped get them Vucevic, whatever, like they just, they had a lot of bites at the apple and didn't come up with a lot. And so they've got this veteran team now because they traded a lot of their future to build a pretty veteran team. Now it's some of the veterans are young veterans like Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso is kind of a mid-career veteran. I just think the bridge to anywhere interesting is Pat Williams, and I'm 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 optimistic that he is going to hit the ceiling of what he can be as a player. Fifth guy, give me your last guy,
1: Reggie Jackson.
0: Oh my god! I am wow, flummoxed.
1: (laughs) So the Clippers are, I think, the Philadelphia of the West in terms of the projections that I've run. In terms of, I see all the questions about what happens if their star gets injured. But they've just got a lot of good players. And so they are tied with the Nuggets for the best projection among that group of five teams that you've talked about in the West that are below the Utah Phoenix Lakers elite in the conference and are probably playing for three playing those, spots out those of the play Those
0: teams to review are Warriors, Dallas, Portland, Clippers, Denver. And if you yep. think those are three to eight in the West, and I, I think if I had to project the West, I think, or I'm sorry, four to nine then yeah, three of those teams are in the play in area.
1: And so I think Reggie Jackson is key to making all this work because, you know, when Paul George is off the court or if he misses time You know, I guess Marcus Morris Sr. you can call on to create more of his own offense. He scored a lot of points when he was with the Knicks a couple years ago. But really, it's going to be a lot of Reggie Jackson. And until last year's playoffs, Reggie Jackson creating his own offense was not a prospect you were real excited about. And then we saw a totally different player. I mean, only Kevin Durant increased his scoring more from the regular season among players who reached the second round of last year's playoffs. He was this iffy three point shooter his entire career, bad three point shooter in Oklahoma City, iffy in Detroit, who all of a sudden has hit forty-three percent consistently with the Clippers. I mean, if this is legit, I think I think it has to be legit for the Clippers to be that
0: good. I think I think he's legitimately good again. I, I think the playoffs may be a little bit um Exaggerated, But I think I think Reggie Jackson's back to being a good, solid point guard. The Clippers, whether they've gotten him healthy or he's gotten healthy or he's got his confidence back or he's just happy there, it's a good setting for him, whatever it is. The shooting has now – he's been a great three-point shooter since the minute he stepped in the door there. So it's now two seasons of it. The off-the-dribble stuff, he's always been pretty shifty and strong with the ball. I, I, I wasn't terribly surprised by what he accomplished in that regards. I, I think he's like a solid – just a solid point guard again, which is a win, a win for them. I'm, I, I have said of those five teams that I have the Clippers at the bottom, which would make, which would make them, I guess, ninth um, in the West, uh, and my best bet to be in the play-in tournament of all those teams. Uh, and but again, the projections say I'm wrong. I just don't, I don't, I. I I don't, I, I, again, that doesn't mean they're bad. I think, I think all those teams are good. I just think the Clippers are the worst of them. I just, I think their offense is going to take more of a hit than maybe their projection systems think without Kawhi. But again, maybe, maybe I'm, I love the Terrence Mann contract, by the way. He was on my short list for intriguing players, too. And in talking about wings and three and D wings and what they get paid, they gave him a two year, $22 million extension atop his minimum, whatever minimum ish, if it's not a minimum contract. That has a chance to be a fantastic contract that he has a chance to be a really good player
1: yeah i mean in some ways it's really more like a three or 24 million extension because he could have pressed them no you got to decline that team option on the last year if i'm going to extend and instead they were able to pick that up and extend off of it
0: that's a good list give me just just rapid fire we don't have to analyze it give me like three guys who were on the on the last minute shopping block for kevin pelton's intriguing players list
1: So I mentioned Jaron Jackson Jr. Him and Kristaps Porzingis, I think, are both very similar in terms of can they kind of recapture. Ooh, I like it. Uh, Tyler Hero, who was awesome during the preseason. He was on my short list,
0: too. I just felt like we're all going to be talking about Tyler Hero and the Heat a lot, so I don't need to do a thing on it.
1: He's my pick for both most improved and six-man this year. I like it. And then the last player on my list was Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who I think probably has to be really good for the Pelicans to survive this stretch without Zion.
0: I'm just too depressed to talk about the Pelicans. It's just, it's not going great right now. It's just not going great. It's fair. And he, he is a very interesting, he was on my short list too. And, you know, this is year three for him. And so many of these guys, they have, they have interesting skill sets. They have a, like he has a certain wildness and audaciousness to his game that as a, as a young bench player, There are nights it looks incredible. Then you lose the trust of the coach for, like, two weeks at a time because you had, like, four crazy turnovers in ten minutes. I'm very interested in him. But we have a whole season. The games start tomorrow. Two games. I will say, KP, I missed the third game. The NBA season always started with this, like, two marquee games that everyone's going to watch on national TV. And then, like, Pacers magic where you felt like I'm part of this secret club of very disturbed people. Who's like? I gotta kind of get through this Pacers Magic game. I'll watch the big game tomorrow. But I'm, re- I'm really interested to see what Andrew Nicholson is gonna do in this game. If they ca- they have to restore that. I like that game.
1: And it would start at like seven o'clock Eastern before the doubleheader started at eight. So you'd have that. That would be the first game of the season, and you'd have that like one hour window where that was. That's on right. That's why I would watch it
0: because I could sit down and get like half of it over with before the real game started, and then I could f- finish it and catch up to. Yes, I, this is. Of, of huge oversight by the NBA, and it should be Pacers Magic. I'm nominating that as the game.
1: Oh, in baseball, like how Cardinals Cubs traditionally used to start the season. In, in our case, it's going to be Pacers Magic.
0: I I guess I don't know. It's got to be something, and it has to have the magic. The magic absolutely, the magic are non-negotiable to me. They have to be in that game. All right, Kevin Pelton, uh, you can read all his extension takes, including some that I have yet to get to today. Uh, You can read his take on everything that happens basically in the NBA. His mailbag runs every weekend. He's always answering interesting questions in the mailbag. Uh, One of the very best to do it. Mr. Pelton, good luck to the Kraken, and I will see you soon, my friend.
1: Thanks for having me.